You're listening to Market Scale Retail. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the opportunity to have a conversation with the CEO for Oak, also the founder, Healy Cypher. Healy, how you doing? Doing great, Sean. Glad to be here. So I have to ask, first off, I've read some of the interviews you've done. I'm not giving you all the softball easy questions here, like what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? I'm hitting you with the hard-hitting questions. Why Oak? <laughs> I love it. That's God, uh, wasn't prepared for this one, Sean. What are you doing to me, man? Um, so actually, my, my wife, who is infinitely more intelligent than me, as anyone could derive from meeting her within a second, uh, we actually were on a walk. And I remember this is kind of as we were, we were thinking about starting the company, and we were chatting about technology and, and kind of this very saturated environment that we're in, which is Silicon Valley, where you know everyone kind of believes that tech is the end-all be-all. And she looked at this oak tree as we were walking by. And she goes, you know, we think we have so much technology out there, but look at this tree. This is incredible. Think about the technology in the seed, small seed of a tree. You plant that, and it becomes this mighty oak tree. And I said, Wow. That's like a really great metaphor for what we're trying to build. And so I called up the guys and I said, hey, you guys want to call it Oak? And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure. It sound, sounds great. So that, that was a story. It was a, it was a few hour thing. But um, I think it is a great metaphor about technology, how, you know, there's the beautiful strength that you see above the surface and that's kind of what you focus on. But in reality, you know, trees, 50% of it is beneath the soil. And that is what makes really good technology is a strong foundation. So anyway, that's, that's the story, Sean. I like that. And using another metaphor, you definitely outkicked your coverage, my friend. Yes, sir, so, I did. Proud of it. <laughs> so let's talk about that concept. Okay, I'm going to give your, your brief resume so you don't have to. So you were working as a chief of staff of the CTO at eBay, kind of a big company. Um, you started doing sales for everything. And then the human part of you thought, hmm, we need to. I need to find a better way to help people find stuff. And that's an interesting approach that you take. You're not focused on helping people sell stuff per se. You're interested on helping people buy stuff and the experience that goes along with that, which will naturally improve the experience for the retailer. Let's go back to your metaphor about the tree and the technology that is in the background. I've seen some, some shots and, and little sizzle reels for the oak mirror. That thing is stunning, but it's so simple. It's a mirror. Hey, here's something that I touch. Talk to me a little bit about sort of the process of coming up with that idea and watching it come to life. Oh, thank you, Tetra. Well, I mean, so I want to hit on a couple of things. The first is you hit something that was really, really key, and it's it's something that as a technologist, as um, perhaps a self-described evangelist, I'm really passionate about, which is so often retailers, technologists, they fall into this trap, Sean. And it's a trap of kind of tech for the sake of tech, you know? And so you walk into a store and all of a sudden they're like, put on these VR goggles and, you know, smoke machine kicks off and lasers start dancing around. <laughs> what are you doing? Just because drones and AR is kind of the, the tech crunch word cloud doesn't mean that's your strategy for innovation. So fundamentally at the core of Oak, what we believe is that, Stores, experiences should always be beautiful and human. They should contain authentic materials that you want to interact with, people, products, wood, glass, metal. It shouldn't be the tech streaming in your face. It should be taking an acute standpoint on where those opportunities are to introduce solutions to the things that can make your experience better. 
And that is generally how we approach everything. And so, you know, you kind of asked, how did you come to this mirror concept to start? Well, it was from that viewpoint, Sean. We, we actually look at an in-store experience as identical to an online experience because, of course, as you know, uh, we came from an online background. And so in the same way, uh, a product manager for an e-com site memorizes their conversion funnels. How many people are going from the homepage to a product page to the cart to checkout? And they're, they're meticulously looking at every detail of how long does it take? What's the drop-off rate? Could these pages load faster, have a better design system? We applied that exact same theory to the physical world. So, for example, when someone walks into a physical store, they're probably doing one of two things. One, they know what they're, sh- they're shopping for, searching. Or two, is they'd like some inspiration, browsing. Searching versus browsing. It's exactly like a homepage. As they look at all the products on the shelves, they're gathering information, determining if they're interested. That's a product page online. If they bring something into the fitting room, that's a cart. And then checkout is, of course, checkout. So specifically, we started looking at the data, and the data was incredible. So for example, um, if someone sees an item they like on the shelf, but the size or color they want isn't physically in front of them, 48% of customers, Sean, will not ask for help. And eight out of 10 times, that thing they wanted is 10 feet away in the stock room. So that's an obvious opportunity. How can technology help solve that? If someone sees a line they just perceive as being over seven minutes long, 79% will abandon. And that's with products in hand. It's incredibly expensive. But on the flip side, the fitting room experience, if someone goes into a fitting room, there's a very high chance they're going to convert and it's just not a great experience. So... You know, I'll talk about kind of the origin of the company and what it is we're ultimately doing, which, you know, actually isn't mirrors. But the mirror was a very good starting point because it solved a very acute problem. We realized that when people go into the fitting room, and, you know, I'll even turn this question around. You know, when's the last time you had a great fitting room experience? That would be uh, 1993. I remember it clearly. <laughs> what happened that made it so great? It was a great pair of jeans that I found in uh, Barcelona. Okay. And so the product was awesome. And the fitting experience to get there may or may not have been a part of that. But generally, the pain points in a fitting room are, you know, someone's in there and, and they, they took their original pair of pants off. Now they have something else on. It's, which is usually the case for me, a little, little too tight. So you're looking for something you know, a little bigger than maybe you thought. What do you do at that moment? Do you put your original pants on? Do you holler for someone? Do you stick your head out? Do you wander out in your socks? So, you know, this, this experience where someone walks into the fitting room, this beautiful mirror, senses the thing you brought in using radio frequency. So to be really clear, we never put cameras in any of our technology that is in a private place, like a, like a fitting room. And then the mirror comes alive and it shows you what items you brought in um, with big, beautiful photos. It shows you other colors, styles, fits that are available in stock right now in the store. You can request those from an associate. When they respond, it shows their name and face. So again, you know, we're not trying to dehumanize the experience. We're trying to rehumanize it. It lets you change the lighting, lets you change the language. And we we just um, launched recently the ability to take your phone out, hold it against a mirror, and purchase the things that are in the fitting room and just walking out so you don't have a second line to wait in. The reason we built those experiences was because we actually went into stores and we watched and we listened and we did ethnographic research to figure out what do humans really want here versus what do we think they want because we're in a lab in you know, a technology company. And that, and that was the core of it. 
What I find really interesting about your approach is, you know, we're all so smitten with e-commerce and the ability to buy a new vacuum cleaner without getting off the couch and having it delivered to us and getting it <laughs> next day. But you have taken the technical and taken it back to the tactile and brought in that that actual experience that you can't get sitting on the couch. There's a certain uh, endorphin, adrenaline rush that comes with physically seeing the thing you want and touching, oh, I like the fabric on that sweater that you just can't get in an e-commerce uh, relationship. Well, yeah, look, I mean, I think, I think you know, the, the kind of separation of channels is, 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 is very quickly becoming just a, a means of fulfillment um, and kind of whatever you want, however you want it. More broadly, you know, I'll tell you a story. And it's a story about, um, about Sports Authority. So Sports Authority, when it uh, you know, closed down, there was this big study on where did those sales go? That was a study. Where did the sales go? And it was assumed they'd kind of be distributed across the, the largest competitors. So they looked at Amazon. Okay, yeah, well, as you'd expect, Amazon got a big portion. They got 15% of all the Sports Authority sales went to Amazon. Okay. Uh, Dick's Sporting Good. Yeah, they got a big portion. They got 15% of all those Sports Authority sales went exporting it. So what happened to the balance of the 70%, Sean? It disappeared. Humans need to see things to remember to buy it. That's, it's, it's just really that simple. And so you know, it's funny as I have these, these you know, we're, we're lucky enough to have amazing guests come through our doors just by, by virtue of the fact that we're in, we're in San Francisco. And one of them was this group of 30 executives from Alibaba. And they said, you know, uh, this is really great. Um, and, you know, we just got to let you know that, that China's way ahead of the U.S. And I said, oh, yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> you know? They said, well, you know, uh, you'll find pretty quickly that um, in any vertical, 20% is the cap for e-com. And then past that, you're, you're not really going to see a lot of growth. And I said, oh, well, aren't you the world's biggest online marketplace? What, what are you doing about it? And I said, oh, well, you know, what? We decided to do as our, as our primary growth strategy is we just bought all the largest malls and store operators in China. <laughs> That's Alibaba's growth strategy. And if you take a step back and you think about some of the brands that are really coming to fruition now, you know, the online brands that really crush it, the Bonobos, the Orby Parker, how do you know when they start doing well? They start opening up physical stores and they're actually saying in 2018, they believe that that's going to be one of the primary investments in retail is going to be in physical locations and experiences. So. Is retail going away? Is it dying? Is this narrative out there accurate? No, it's, it's not. Is it changing? Yes, it is changing tremendously fast. And I think the industry is struggling to hold on. But what it's about is exactly what you opened up this conversation, Sean. This is about the emerging experiences that realize that humans now buy differently. You know, we're not deciding if we're going to spend $10 on this shirt versus this shirt. We're deciding if, if we're going to spend $10 on this shirt or that ice cream cone or this experience that's really interesting, this music experience or this cafe. And so bundling experiences and helping you realize that products are a part of that experience, not necessarily the destination, is a really important concept that we're trying to enhance by producing tangible experiences. But also, as, as we kind of redirect our focus on where the industry is headed, um, that's where customers are telling us they want it to be. It's a really interesting de-evolution, I guess. <laughs> I don't know really how to how to phrase this, but the move from look at all these bells and whistles shiny, as you said, fog machine, disco ball, ooh, it's all fancy. <laughs> it, technology is non-existent 
if it can't be used intuitively, I believe. And I'm interested in kind of your thought in technology's true place in the retail experience moving forward. Absolutely. One of our, our principles of design, Sean, is exactly what you said, which is uh, if what you've designed needs an instruction manual, you have officially failed. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that simple, right? Um, and so, you know, one of the principles that we employ in everything, and this comes from our CTO who came from Microsoft Ventures and was, you know, was kind of right there as they were starting Xbox, um, is treat everything like a game. So an immediate win and constant reinforcement, make it fun for everyone, for the customer and for the associate and empower them. It can't just be, oh, this is fun. It's got to be this is fun and it makes me 10 times more effective and it's 10 times easier. And it's a really, really high burden, which is why, look, you know, most experiences out there when you go to stores, they're not that good. And you go, wow, is this really the future? Is it this clunky Windows machine that has a JavaScript error so I can't even see the content? Um, or is it something beautiful that we really want to interact with? And so I think generally the future of technology and retail is one where, um, you know, it focuses on enabling services and experiences and urgency where we're giving tremendously powerful tools to associates and customers to make their lives easier. And I think, I think a really big emerging part of it is applying the right buzz concepts, the kind of leading cusp of technology in a way that really moves a needle. Um, so it's not, hey, you know, we're going to put a hologram up of the, the fashion show so we don't have to hire models to come in. Like, what are you talking about? But you know, one, of, one of the things that, that we are really passionate about, as an example, is the real-life applications of machine learning in a physical environment, you know, otherwise known as artificial intelligence. So how can we start to deploy machine learning in a retail environment so the store is self-aware, it's self-monitoring, it's taking all the available inputs from inventory counts to sales patterns to customer composition to associate bandwidth to weather outside to you know big news events to sporting events. How can we take all that and decide with a very high degree of correlation to sales what content to show to the right person at the right time. And to me, that is where this is heading because um, that's where customers want it. And the reality is everyone is becoming more and more their own shopper. It's really hard to create archetypes of shoppers now to say, hey, this is the kind of, this is the customer journey and we're going to value, you know, this is what everyone does. Well, everyone is a little different now because we have been trained and and, and kind of, condition to know that we can choose our own adventure. So if people are choosing their own adventure, the store has to keep up. Um, and that, that has to be where technology serves as, as a conduit for that. It can't be despite that. It can't be trying to force them down a path they don't want to take because then you're going to have people just walking around the tech and trying to find a person um, or trying to, uh, or, or, or actually just leaving. So anyway, long well, answer. I, no, as you, as you, move forward in that flexibility as you apply that flexibility to the retail experience you allow the employees in the store to actually focus on the human interaction segment of the retail experience and they they don't have to basically waste time doing other mundane tasks that technology can do more quickly and more efficiently that ultimately just leads to a better experience for the customer. 
Well, yeah. And, and it also, I mean, it changes how humans are engaging with each other. You know, there's, there's this wonderful resurgence of simplicity happening now where people are saying, look, you know, I don't want to be heads down in a phone all the time. I don't want to not be smelling the flowers and looking up at the sky and being, being a human. And so you're seeing this kind of, you know, the, the light phone is my favorite example of these beautiful monochromatic matte finished experiences that are just, you know, it's about keeping your head up, not head down. And I think in the same way, there's this kind of bifurcation of what um, associates are doing in stores, which is, you know, that kind of petty, repetitive tasks of things like checkout or inventory searching, things that, you know, you could easily do with a lookup. Those things are being replaced by technology so that the humans that are there are doing the things you want to be doing with a human. Their client telling you. They are being, you know, friendly and gregarious. They're asking about your kid. They're taking a knee and hanging out with your kid so you can try on those five pair of pants. It's, it's that future where technology and humanity blend that we love. And that's what we're trying to enable. Um, so humans can become their higher self and interact versus separate them through, um, you know, through some forced means of automation. I think definitely we're getting close to a tipping point where we're not going to all be totally shocked and amazed at our phones. And we will start to lift our gaze from those screens that have dominated our attention. I'm interested in um, a testing methodology. And mm -hmm. I, I don't want to get you to tell a secret that you're not supposed to tell, but <laughs> it seems as if every person that has been born since the year 2000, they intuitively know how to use a touchscreen. Have you thought about using five-year-olds as your focus group to test new technology as you roll it out because they're really smart it's, it's such it's such a, like an amazing idea so the answer is actually yes <laughs> we um we look at a range and it's from you know very very young to actually pretty old because you know if if they um they can't use it then we failed in, in our mind and if you take a five-year-old, for example, in the TV aisle of Best Buy, what do they try to do to every single touchscreen? Or, or sorry, I just ruined the joke. What do they try to do to every single TV? They try yeah. to touch it. Yeah. They're, they're reaching out. So the world is becoming interactive, and, and part of this is driven by consumer behavior. So you, know, you mentioned mobile may not be the entire future. Well, I think it's actually more about redefining what mobility even means. I mean, if I set my phone down and walk away, my phone's going to sit there. I'm going to walk away. I'm mobile. Our phone is just a small computer that happens to be on our body. And so if you look at a lot of where the future's heading, you know, look at QSR, look at hospitality, look at airports. I mean, how many touchscreens are you using in airports today as you go through from ordering food to checking bags to watching movies on the back of the, the TV screen? Um, that is because people don't download apps anymore. And in fact, it's one of the most important stats out there as people think about digital strategy. And it's zero. Zero is the amount of new mobile applications the average consumer downloads a month. Zero. They got the apps you want. And so how do you look at that consumer behavior and build solutions that are, you know, very specific? This is at a time and place, and it's exactly what I need, nothing more, nothing less, and I'm getting in and out quickly. Um, and that, that is a big part of the consideration set that I would, I would ask, I would implore people to consider as they start to make investments in, in their own digital strategy. Well, we've gotten to the point where we are 
going to step away from technology for my last question because I'm very curious and I'm hoping that you'll give a moment to think about this. I know this question is going to make you a little itchy, but okay. three day weekend, no technology, none. Where mm. on earth do you go to spend that? Where do I go? Yeah, three days, no technology, no phone, no email, no nothing. Three days, where are you going? Well, um, you know, I you've asked the right person because that is actually something that my wife and I do very often. We'll actually leave our phones home and we'll go away for three days and intentionally remove ourselves. Um, so, I, I mean, I can tell you three examples of places we've done that recently, if that'd be helpful. Absolutely. So... Um, you know, one is, is an obvious one is we got backpacks and we went to Yosemite and we hiked up the waterfalls and deep into the Sierras and, and camped and just kind of lived lived life um, with the food we had and the water we could find. And, you know, those are the moments that, that I find can actually really remind you of the importance of what you're doing. Um, you know, actually, uh, as recently as last weekend, we went to Cuba and there is no choice. Like there is not tech. There's no cell phone service. If you want Wi-Fi, you got to buy like a card from the government and find one of the five hotspots. And it was really incredible. It was like traveling back to 1959, literally the year of the revolution, because the cars are from them. That's how people are living. They don't have tech. They don't have phones. Gosh, so interesting to see what human interaction was like back then. Maybe one of the rare examples on the planet where you can still see that. Um, and the most extreme we did, which I... Uh, can't tell you how amazing it was, was we were fortunate enough to go down to Antarctica on a, on a, a research vessel. Um, and like, my gosh, just, just seeing the world and being reminded of the fact that we're on this little, little rock that's chasing a star as it hurdles 40,000 kilometers to the galaxy. Um, felt like we were going to Mars. All that stuff is really helpful. And, you know, it's kind of helps you to look in the mirror every day and say, is, is what I'm doing making the world a better place? And do I want to be doing this? So I think those are my those are my top three answers. Well, those are excellent answers, and it seems like you are imbuing the the direction that Oak is taking with that sort of sense of wonder, and you're trying to bring that connectivity back out of the technical realm and into, as I mentioned earlier, the physical and tactile realm. Today, I've had the opportunity to speak to Healy Cipher. He is, of course, the CEO and founder of Oak. Healy, thanks so much for taking the time today, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, Sean, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and um, and looking forward to, to what the future of retail holds. There, there's a lot there and it's going to change a lot in the next five years, probably more than the last 100. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. It's trade show season, so I know you're getting ready to get platinum miles again. So let's look a, a month or two down the road once the trade show season ends. And then I'd like to have you back so I can pick your brain on what you saw and sort of maybe some trends that you think are going to start to take hold in the industry. How's that sound? I think it's a great idea. Love the do it. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Haley. Be good. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.